The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. God, I love baseball. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Man, this is baseball. You gotta stop thinking. I believe in the church of baseball. There's no crying in baseball! everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Andrew. And I'm Paul. And this is Playball! Baseball at the Movies. The show where we... What are we doing on this show, Paul? Well, Andrew, uh, we watch uh-huh. every single baseball movie. Oh, that sounds fun. Every single one. That's a Man. good... It does sound kind of fun. Like... I listen to this show. Someone should make a podcast about that. <laughs> hey, look, we're wizards. We made it happen. Amazing! Yeah. It's, it kind of is amazing that this is happening. 100%. The movie we're talking about today on this podcast... The one we doing, just talked about. Which, yeah, which, that we're introing. That we're actually making. <laughs> yeah is American Pastime. That's right. This movie is based on true events about life and baseball in the Topaz Japanese internment camp during World War II. Here's a logline for people who haven't seen this movie. American Pastime shows the dramatic impact of World War II on the home front as Japanese-American families are uprooted from their everyday lives and placed in internment camps after Pearl Harbor. When Lyle Nomura and his family are faced with forging a new life in the camps, they turn to baseball to rebuild their community and their spirits. It stars Aaron Yu as Lyle Nomura, Masatoshi Nakamura as Lyle's father Kaz, and Gary Cole as Billy Burrell, who is the head guard at the camp. And uh, his brother Lane is the guy from Westworld. Really? Yeah, you know the. Um, cool. Do you watch Westworld? I do. He's the guy. So that you know the two dudes that work. Uh, they're like this. They get the dead bodies and they redo them. His name is Leonard Nam. That's and he's amazing. The, he's the brother that goes to war. Well, this 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 movie also stars him in that role. There you go. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. I usually go three, but that's cool. The whole movie, I was like, it's the Westworld guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Should we listen to the trailer a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's get a, let's come just get some trailer flavor. Hey, you understand English? Get back in line. We have to do what we can to make a new home. Prisoner, step away from the fence. I want to make a league here. We had an idea to have a game between your baseball team and a Topaz team. You don't even belong in the same field as us. We're not going back to that camp. You're not seeing that Jack. It's not a Jack. Today is not just about winning. Mom, Dad, I joined the army. You get yourself killed. Let's see what that proves. Today it's about dignity. Look at that. There it is. That was a trailer. American pastime. That's right. Uh, this movie came out in 2007. Real quick, Paul, what were we doing in 2007? Gra- college, first year of college. For me, anyway. Sure. That's... Cool. Is that what you were doing? Uh, well, I, w- I was. W- this is a baseball podcast. Oh, sure. So 2007. I we don't were, know. We were the watching Yankees the. Probably won. We were watching the, the Boston Red Sox oh. win the World Series. Oh, congratulations to the Boston Red Sox. We were watching we Cal just, Ripken Jr. Oh. And Tony Gwynn. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Oh, I see what you're doing. You're. You're okay. I'm go just ahead. brushing past. Yeah. Yep. The Boston Red Sox won the World Series. Everybody knows it. Moving on. We're watching Cal they Ripken Jr. The Dodgers. We're watching. <laughs> Kyle Ripken Jr. Yeah. and Tony Gwynn get elected to the Hall of Fame. Oh, Tony Gwynn. They deserved it. Dude, Tony, who? They did some stuff. Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn might be low-key my favorite baseball player. Really? He's incredible, wow. dude. Wow. That's, yeah. Did you hear that stat recently about how his lifetime strikeout total, 
like Judge, Aaron Judge is about like 60 away from passing that. <laughs> Amazing. And he's only played baseball like two years or whatever. Insane. All it's these, really sad. All of his records, the baseball is so different now. Yeah, it's so That's true. another show. That's another show. Another show, sorry. We were watching Barry Bonds pass Hank Aaron's record yeah, of we 755 career home runs in his final season. Never played again. And appropriately enough, yeah. we were watching Ichiro Suzuki ah. win the MVP during the All-Star game. Dude. How cool is that? That's really cool. I have a feeling we're going to talk about him on this show. About Ichiro? A little bit. Probably. A little yeah, bit. Probably. Okay. Back to American Pastime. Yep, yep. How it was received, not great. No, it's got like a, what, a 30? 33% yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. But the consensus is that it's kind of a noble failure. I would agree with that term. Yeah, I've never I, heard of that term. Oh, really? That's a fun little term to throw around. Yeah. Here's a quote. This is Robert Abel from LA Weekly. Okay. Just so What's can... better for podcasting <laughs> than terrible noises? You told me to print this so that I think I know I did. Sense. You know, you win some, you lose some. Uh, here's a quote from the LA Weekly Review. Yeah. He said, with such rich material about dreams deferred, it's disheartening that co-writer-director Desmond Nakano's nobly made but patchy drama mires itself in nostalgia tropes and storytelling cliches. Yeah. And I, I kind of yeah, agree. I would agree with that sentiment. Okay. Let's get into the plot. We're going to walk through the plot. We yeah. are going to give away some spoilers. We're going to put in the notes when we skip to all the nerdy baseball stuff. Yep, yep, yep. It's called Inside Baseball. So if, if, you, if you want, pause the podcast right now. Yep. We'll wait for you. Mm-hmm. Watch the movie, come back, pretend you're discussing the plot with us. Yeah. Listen, and it'll be a little fun exercise Listen for you. to our plot, yeah. listen to our review, yeah. or just check the notes and skip ahead to Inside Baseball. Or do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. yeah. Or, or turn off and walk away and never yeah. listen. To, well, don't do that. Well, you could. Any but, of those other options. Sure. Okay, so a quick history lesson. Yeah. I feel like we got to kind of set the stage to talk about this movie a little bit. A hundred percent, yeah. Okay, so after Pearl Harbor, during yep. World War II... FDR signed what was called Executive Order 9066, which authorized the removal of 120,000 Japanese and Japanese-American citizens from their homes. They were relocated into 10 internment camps and many, many more assembly centers all through western parts of America. They were in California, Arizona, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, Arkansas, and Idaho. So... You know, it's kind of a dark chapter in American history. It's not nearly taught as much in schools as I think it should be. The whole the whole movie, I was thinking, I really don't know much about this. I, like, yeah. I knew, obviously, that it happened, and mm-hmm. then it's a complete, uh, just a terrible stain on our democracy and yeah. country. But, like, the more things I have in the movie, I was like, how do I not know more about this? Yeah, it's a, I, I would encourage everybody to check it out. Check out some of this history. It's really fascinating and sad, tragic stuff. Okay, so that's kind of the sort of the background of the the historical right. part of this movie. So it starts with the family life of uh, Lyle Nomura is our right. main character, right and, before Pearl Harbor. Right. So he's in Los Angeles in 1941. Actually, the opening line of the movie, you see him in his house with his family. Right. It's him and his older brother and his parents, and he's got a bunch of friends. Right. And he's playing the saxophone. The movie is desperately trying to establish it's a period piece. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And he's playing the saxophone, yeah. and their opening voiceover is jazz and baseball. <laughs> and I, I started to God, I was like, I love this movie. I like said it out loud. 
So again, it's it's uh, it's like summer 1941. They're having a big picnic, a, a big barbecue, rather. Right. Uh, he's he's debating with his friends, like, who do you like better, Joe DiMaggio or Ted Williams? There was a lot of that. They also did that with jazz dudes. They that's like, true. This jazz guy or that's, that jazz guy. That's true. Like, it was to me. It was like hitting home. Like this is a period piece. I know. We um, real quick. I gotta say, yeah. I, we don't talk about it in Inside Baseball because there's so much to talk about for this movie. But 1941. Yes. Amazing year for baseball. It's when Joe DiMaggio had his 56 game hitting streak and ted Ted williams was last time anybody hit over 400 400. so he hit i think it was 406 by the end bonkers insane neither of those have ever happened again and probably never will it's wild yeah then pearl harbor happens yeah and we see a lot of this kind of through historical footage we see the family listening to fdr's speech right uh day of infamy them moving out they're kind of yeah they're forced out it was, again with the real history there's like a it was it's like they whole, were given 48 hours yeah. to sell your business sell your house get rid of everything you got to get on these buses get on these trains and they were taken to these assembly centers and eventually these right where they were literally centers. living in like stables before they yeah. had finished building the camps exactly for like a year almost like six seven months like a long time they were living time. in actual just squalor so before what, they moved to like Tiny upscale squalor. Right, yeah, of these internment camps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a step terrible. up to the internment yeah. camp. Okay, so then basically the rest of the movie kind of takes place in these internment camps. There are kind of three main storylines, just to sort of fast track the plot a little bit, because there's yeah. so much going on in this movie. It's a lot. So the first of these three storylines kind of follows Lyle's family finding their footing, building a new community in this right. internment camp. So we see some of the daily life of the camp. You know, they had vegetable gardens. There were dances in the big main dance hall, but they were confined to these barracks. They had to live within the, the fenced-in enclosure. That was bordered the, by armed guards armed and guards, towers. Armed guards, watchtowers. Um, which in the movie, credit to the movie, they actually built that camp, which was pretty cool. They did. that. Um, all of All of that stuff is... Well, we'll get into it, but all that stuff was really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that was like totally. the best part of the movie. But so we see we see these Japanese internees, as they were called, building this new community of life in the camp, and a big part of that is baseball. It's said that Kaz, who is the main character Lyle's father, right? He had been involved with baseball beforehand, and so he kind of spearheads. We should build a league, and right? They even established that he he played with Babe Ruth when that's they went right. to Japan. Yeah, um, Babe Ruth went to Japan. That's true. Yeah, they had that photo. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 him and Lou Gehrig and Jimmy Fox. Yeah. Who, if you guys remember from the Sandlot episode, yeah, that's the same photo. I think it's not <laughs> not the same photo. It was the same guys for yeah, sure. That's true. It was amazing. Well, that's a real thing that happened. They all went to Japan. It's true. In the f- I don't remember what the time, year. Paul? You know what? Here's the thing. Didn't write it down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, so that's one of the main storylines. Is is you see baseball becoming integral to keeping the spirits up of the people in the right. camp. We we meet some of the uh, sort of side characters here. Lyle has kind of a mentor figure yeah, uh, who gives him advice. Crazy guy who makes moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have a, a big guy named Bambino. Wonder that what that's Hawaii, referring uh, clearly, to. Clearly, uh, like a Hawaiian Samoan descent guy. Yeah. Large dude. And hits lots of home runs. Who honestly, best... Do you ever play backyard baseball? Oh, yeah. You know how each character had like a crazy thing they would do as oh, they yeah. walked with the bat? This guy literally in the movie oh, walks yeah. with the bat playing the ukulele. <laughs> play a little single song then he hands the ukulele to the bat boy and, and hits like, a home run yeah. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that guy's awesome that's kind of the f- the first of the main storylines the second of these main storylines is it follows the family of the main guard at the camp who is sergeant billy burrell gary cole who's played by gary cole from veep yeah <laughs> with the with like such a boring haircut i was the whole time i was like is that the, is that the guy from pineapple express yeah. is that the guy from veep i, I think it is <laughs> 
So he and one of the other guards are sort of the figureheads of the the guards. There was a guy in charge that was like the camp director. Yeah. Who is barely a character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then under him is like, he's in charge of all the soldiers that are keeping Uh, tabs. So basically his story, we meet his family. It's his wife, Kathy, and his daughter, Katie. Right. When he's not working at the camp, he's a little older. He's like in his late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. He's essentially Kevin Costner from Bull Durham. For whatever reason, though, he's not overseas fighting in World War II. He is stationed here at the camp. Right. I'm assuming because he's probably a little older. Yeah. Well, And so part of that is he is very active on the local minor league baseball team. Right. Uh, He's the catcher. And and the story that's kind of drawled out is he's nearing the end of his career. And he's hoping, though, for kind of one last shot to play right. for the Yankees, of course. And especially since all the players are now going overseas to exactly. fight. They, they, he has a conversation with his wife of, right. like, all of the teams are depleted. Right. You know, they don't know what to do because they're running out of guys. Little does he know Gina Davis is going to step into that role. Kick, kick an ass. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so he's hoping for one last chance to, to make it onto uh, a major league team. Uh, one of his friends is important to note for later on. He's a character who I just wrote as racist Ed. Cause that's kind of the point. Dude, of I wrote, I think I, I call oh because oh so that guy's also Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. It's really? like racist Rico oh, in racist. my notes. <laughs> He embodies all of the racist sentiment in the country. Yeah, exactly. In one character. character. Specifically, he owns the barbershop. He also plays on Billy's minor league team. Yeah. And he's just racist to Japanese people in every scene that he's in. (laughs) Yeah. And then the main story, the heart of this, follows the main character, Lyle. Right. Who, he's like... You know, nineteen twenty something mm-hmm. like that. He was he was supposed to be going to college on a baseball scholarship yeah. before the attack on Pearl Harbor, and right. then of course is for, you know loses that and is forced into the camp with his family. He loves pitching. He's a great pitcher, but also he loves jazz, jazz music, and he yeah. kind of just wants to be a kid. So yeah, there's, there's his some... story was a little confusing because I feel like they should have focused on either baseball or jazz. It's weird. There's sort of controversy because he loves right pitching That's the other thing but his dad then goes to him and says help me make baseball a thing and he's like nah yeah but also i'm gonna pitch all the time and i want a baseball scholarship and jazz as well and i want to rebel against my dad right and my brother it's very it's, there's, a, there's a little more convoluted the heart of what you need to know about his story is that he starts flirting with Katie, Correct. who is Billy's daughter, she right. is Gary allowed. In, she comes into the camp to teach children music, right? And so she's kind of a singer. She plays the piano. He plays the saxophone. They meet for real at one of the right. one of these dances that happens in the big social hall at the camp. He calls her up to do some jazz, and they make some sweet, sweet music together. Yeah. And then they start one-on-one jazz lessons. This is some improv, improv, and some, then it turns to improv with their with their lips, with their tongues. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> So they fall in love, right? Spoilers, and they make plans to run away together. Correct, basically. which is controversial because she's the daughter of Gary Cole. She's yeah. white, obviously. Uh, it's a problem. It's a problem <laughs> to them, evidently. Yeah. So basically, all of these storylines kind of converge in yeah. this big game. Is is the way I'll put it? That's basically, sort of thing. Uh, essentially, the Topaz team. Because because there are so few guys around, because they're all off fighting the war, the minor league team kind of doesn't have anybody else to play. Right. So they agree to do an exhibition game with a team made up of all... The Japanese team. The internees who make the Topaz team. And so right. we've got this big showdown of the Topaz team versus Billy and Racist Ed and some Racist of the other Rico. Yeah. <laughs> the Racist team. Yes, correct. Basically. 
Okay, so we have this game. It culminates in a game, uh, which is legit best sequence, best part of the movie. It was great. Really, there yeah. was there was a lot going on. So uh, Lyle's older, some of the plot lines, are, right. everything kind of gets tied up Correct. Uh, in this game. Uh, Lyle's older brother goes off to war. He joins the Marines. When he gets back, Race's Ed refuses to give him a haircut. Right. So the camp raises, I think it's like $2,500. Like everybody puts everybody in a quarter. Everybody chips in a quarter, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they raise $2,500 and they bet it on the game against... Right. For the Japanese to win. The white players don't have... They say, well, we don't have enough money for that right. bet. And so they say, well, how about a haircut? Right. You give this guy a haircut. Yeah, you exactly. Son of a bitch. Lyle's parents finally meet Katie, and Katie's parents sort of see Lyle as a human being. Kind of, yeah. for, that was a really nice scene. They're, was, they're sort of, yeah. they're sort of necking and sort of saying goodbye, and yeah. then both sets of parents kind of wander into where they are. Right, and, and prior to that, there was definitely like there was a whole fight with Billy, like freaking out about her being in a relationship with him. Yeah, almost hitting her, and it was it, it was dark. It was very dark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, of course, we have this game. Right. I should say also uh, there's a character who's a scout, and Billy is hoping that the scout right. is a scout for the Yankees. He's hoping that he's coming to the game. So he's you? trying to put on a show for that. Obviously, Lyle wants to strike him out uh, a bunch of times. We should probably talk about There was also, up until that baseball scene, my other favorite scene in the movie was... Billy and another guard are playing catch, yeah. and the ball goes way over their heads, and Lyle's near the ball, and so he picks up the ball. They're like, hey, throw us the ball, and he fucking shoots it, it at them, over. and they're like, whoa, you got a good arm. Yeah. And then they're like, let's so make says, it interesting, let's yeah, do a little bet. Five bucks. Right. And if you like, can strike make me Make it out. ten. Yeah. And yeah, so Lyle pitches to Billy in the camp to see if he can strike him out. And it's a little unfair because he starts. He's clearly throwing strikes, and Billy's like, "Oh, those are balls." Yeah, he, he just he swings and misses twice, right? And then he just stops swinging and right. just calls and it a ball. It's ball four, and, and he's like, "All right, you owe me yeah. money now." So the the mentor guy who later spearheads the big bet, right? He's the one who he goes in and he pays for Correct. Lyle, and he says, "Hey, don't worry about so it." So now that the game's actually happening, there's a real umpire, and so Lyle's pitching, and this time it's throws like, the strikes, and he's like, he says something like, yeah. "Now it's fair" or something. Yeah, right? the uh, Billy had the moonshine guy. Yeah, Billy Billy threw some racist remarks towards the older mentor That's right. and towards Lyle when they were pitching in the camp. That's right. And so he turns it back on him and the mentor yells out the same racist, you right. know, just That's a little right. bit oh, outside. Oh, yeah, just a little bit outside. That's right. Yeah, you, because he's actually striking him out now. Right. Uh, he strikes him out three times. Three actually, in the game. times. So the game's going along. It's a pitcher's duel. Yeah. It's 0-0 the whole game. And then in something like the sixth inning... Bambino steps in, hits a home run. Yeah, he as knocks it Bambinos out. Bambinos do. Dude, he's the best. He's so he's, big. He's a great character. <laughs> he was my he was favorite great character. character yeah. yeah, comes in, hits a home run. Yeah, and then in the uh, in the top of the ninth, the Topaz team is the home team. They win the coin toss right. in the top of the ninth. Right, uh, which we should. There was a coin toss for yeah. who played home field advantage. Yeah, I wonder if that was like it. more of a people precedent, like in back in the day. Like, I wonder if teams did that more often. Well, I guess because cool, this one, it's like, where is the Topaz team gonna? Like, they were, where would well, they they were the clearly team, the visitor right? team, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's but, interesting that they were like, let's make it fair and do a coin yeah. toss. I think the plot mechanics also kind of needed it. To- <laughs> 100%. That's very true. <laughs> Basically what happens is they Lyle gives up, was like a three-run home run? No, so they, uh, yeah. So they're down. Racist Rico gets on base, and he gets on base because he fucking takes oh, yeah, out the second through. baseman. And as that yeah. happened, I was so shocked because it's been a while since that's I've seen that, oh, yeah. you know, in baseball. Oh, yeah, I wrote down in my notes, the illegal move now. Yeah, I know. I was like, whoa, no. That's also, not a, it wasn't also, even a takeout slide. It was like a takeout yeah, tackle. Just, just barreled through him. Yeah. Also racism. 
it was this is also, all the things. Also racism. Yeah. And exactly. then that, so he gets on base and then yeah, he hits a home run. And, yeah. Um, Billy so, Billy hits the home run. Billy hits the home run. Yeah. So Billy hits Billy hits his monster shot and the guards take the lead. And then we go to the bottom of the ninth, which real quick, when the announcer is like, We're in the bottom of the ninth. To, first of all, that announcer yeah, is out of his super mind. Racist. Second of all, do you know who that is? No, who is it? That announcer is John Crook. Really? The guy who played the baseball player in the really? fan who's a real-life baseball player? That yeah. guy is the same guy. Wow. He's only done two movies. Yeah. Guess what they are? It's amazing. <laughs> Incredible. Also, super yeah. racist character. Like, so racist. Yeah. He's announcing the whole game. They do this thing that they do in sports movies of the announcer is, like, heard by all the audience. Yeah. And he's just spouting racist remarks towards the Japanese players the whole game. Which, yeah, granted, at the time, that existed. Yeah. But, like, it's felt a little a little over a little the top. too much. Yeah. <laughs> but he goes, you know, okay, we're in the ninth. And I got to say, this is what I wrote down. Yeah. When he said that, I was like, man, is there anything more? Like, is there any feeling more exciting of, like, Nothing. going to the bottom of the ninth Nothing. in a baseball we game? Should start, we should I was start like, keeping wow, track great. of how many times that happens in the, in the movies oh, we yeah. watch. You know what I mean? It's the most dramatic thing. Because it's the most dramatic thing. And most I dramatic feel thing in real like life. It, totally. And I yeah. feel like most baseball movies come down to oh, the yeah. bottom of the night. No baseball game was ever done in like the seventh inning. Like in the movie. For sure. It was like in the seventh inning you hit the winning. And yeah, and it's like, oh, we won seven to two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that never happens in the last game. We should keep track of that. Side note for us. Sorry, listeners. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll do, oh, yeah. yeah That's yeah, some inside oh, yeah, baseball, you're here. inside you're baseball. Listening to this. Oh, yeah. Whoops. Oh, yeah, it's for you. <laughs> Sorry. Basically what happens is uh, then. That's uh, the bottom of the ninth. It's the bottom of the ninth. The two outs. Right. Uh, the first Japanese player gets on. The second guy, you'd seen him all game. He was like backing away from the plate because he was a little nervous. So right. What he does is he leans in and he gets hit. Right. So we've got first and second. Lau comes in. Lau hits a monster shot. Yeah. Uh, goes all the way to the back. Not a home run, but uh, it's sort of a bases clearing triple. Right. And uh, so they tie up the game. Bambino the- comes up. Is it Bambino? I thought it was. I think. I mean, it would make sense. It didn't. It doesn't matter who came up. Oh, that's right. Bambino comes up, and what Lyle does is steal home. home. Billy drops the ball. Like there's a collision. Yep. The announcer, or the umpire, rather, calls. Well, he drops it, and then covers it it up. up, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lyle steals. So Lyle makes it home. Right. Touches the bag. The umpire calls him out. Lyle protests. Kaz, right, the, the father, comes out. Protests, everybody right. comes out. They're freaking out. And Race's Ed is like so yeah, thrilled. Yeah, we did he it. can't wait. And Billy finally has his moment of redemption. Right. And he says to Lyle, did you touch the bag? And Lyle says, yes, I did. And he says, all right, well, I dropped the ball. So yeah. you, uh, you're safe. And that was nice. Yeah. That was, was a great a, moment. It was a nice, it was a nice redemption arc mm-hmm. uh, you know, for him. Totally. Um, they, they paint him as like not entirely unsympathetic you know right they like have the seeds of like he's not a bad man he's not the worst he's just not informed yeah right and so this is this is kind of the culmination of that plot right. line a little bit of Base- basically his- baseball has helped him see that oh they're just just like us yeah exactly which you kind of should have seen that anyway but like <laughs> definitely hey, should have seen that movie anyway. arcs. yeah movie arcs and that's that's that's, that's the, the game, movie yeah and that's the movie Oh, and then there's you know there's a there's a nice moment with the brother standing up. Oh yeah, at the end. Um, yeah, and they all start cheering, "Go for broke." Yeah, which is the, the um, rallying cry right. of his his troop. Which I found out that the director of the movie, his dad, was in the internment camps. Yeah, he was I, a I soldier, read that also. And then turned actor. He was an actor. Oh, amazing. And was in a movie called "Go for Broke." Wow. About World War Two. Amazing. So there you go. Then I think if it's either the final scene or one of the final scenes, we see. 
this was really touching. We see racist Ed giving the older brother Lane a haircut finally. That's the last and scene. Of sh- yeah, the, the last whole shot. camp is like staring out yeah, through the in the window windows, yeah. and watching, and it's just this fuck ace racist <laughs> fucking Rico. It dude. was just this really silent, quiet moment, and so Topaz wins. Everybody cheers. Yeah. We have this nice moment at the end. Last shot with the haircut. That's the movie. That's, That's American, the whole movie. American pastime. Yeah. So what did you think, Andrew? What did I think of this movie? I, I kind of agreed with some of these critics that I yeah. was looking. I was looking for a nice quote, and, and a lot of them kind of said the same thing. Of It's a noble failure. It felt like a museum movie. Yeah. It's, you know? he, here's what I'll say. The subject matter is absolutely fascinating. And important. And, imp- and important. More and more relevant today. Absolutely. Not studied enough. And yeah. I, I like heard about this. There's like one, I remember from history class, like one yeah. line like, oh, also FDR did this kind yeah, of thing to the Japanese. Like, it's terrible, blah, blah, and blah, moving on. And was like, wait, what? And yeah. it's like, oh, we're moving on. World War II. You know, you just moving kind on. of brush past Wait till you hear what Hitler did. Like that kind of, you yeah. know, moved on to that. But it's, uh, so the history is fascinating. I'm very glad this movie exists. I want people to see it. Yeah. You know? Um, oh yeah, but just for sort of a, a, a from a movie making standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, I kept thinking, I wish this was better because yeah, it is it, so important. And I kept thinking, is there? De- I don't think there is a definitive movie about this experience. There's not, it, um, and, and I really wish there yeah, was. Yeah, I, I wish that it was more engaging. Yeah, um, and I sort of fault the. I mean, it it, it looks beautiful. The, yeah, the set the, the set of the camp is the great. Set is great. Um, the uh, the baseball sequence is cool. Yeah. It's just from from a simple storytelling perspective, there was just a lot of straight up just coverage. The camera wasn't really doing yeah. anything to help tell the story. They in made a some odd way. choices. I think what they were doing, I kind of realized this as it was going on, because mm. it's it's like a Hallmark Channel movie. It's just like it's like a nice, oh, pleasant yeah. movie, but it doesn't go. I wanted them to go much deeper with these yeah. characters. Yeah, I think what they were doing is kind of aiming at a younger audience. And once I started to think about that, like, oh, yeah. like a kid could watch this and kind yeah. of get on board. That's true. It was like, again, it's like, that's respectable. And it, yeah. look, if their aim was to like, kids and families can see this yeah. and, and start to, you know, kids can have an entryway into totally. this history. Admirable. Yeah. Totally. I just, I wanted like Ang Lee's version of this movie. Where I totally it really gets into it, you know. Yeah. Or, and uh, like a really... A profound director who can, because like the even just the, the there's a montage right after Pearl Harbor of of the telling the story of oh how did they got to the camps and blah blah yeah. blah and it's literally just this montage with like just showing historical footage and like them going and it's like kind of sad but that could have been told way more visually and viscerally yeah and there was just so many moments like that where I was like if this was better <laughs> from a storytelling perspective yeah there were there um, were a couple of things which I, I i sort of picked up on it halfway through and then mm-hmm. i sort of found a few more examples of this as I went along uh i thought they made a couple odd choices about what to show so sure. hemingway has this whole thing about like you want to show the most dramatic part of yeah, the yeah. story so here's an example so they they get word in the middle of the movie they kind of get word oh some of the colleges are going to be offering baseball scholarships even to right Japanese people in these camps. Yeah. And Lyle is like, oh, well, clearly I'm going to get the scholarship. That. Yeah. Or that. He then goes out. The Japanese are allowed out to pick up materials from town. Right. Um, uh, Gary Cole's character kind of escorts them out. While they're out, racist Ed kind of mugs uh, Lyle and break, right. breaks his arm. Yeah. The next scene, we see him sulking and the mentor comes up and he's like, hey, don't worry about the fact that you didn't get that scholarship. You got to keep going. Right. And I was like, well, why not show the moment where he's you know, like finds out that he didn't get it or, or right. 
You know, it's it's just why brush past there was to where he's already sulking. Yeah, it seemed. I like, wanted that moment of oh my god, this is what this means, and yeah. the, the fact that I, the fact that I didn't get it when the mugging happened. Yeah, shows that it wasn't quite established well enough. Yeah, and then later on when they say it out loud, it's like oh why show like weeks later? Why not show in the moment when he totally. finds out and he's just like what a character moment that could have been yeah you know so i just it's like why not show that moment why not show the moment of the biggest impact it definitely felt like there was a lot of emphasis on to show their resilience yeah which i think is an, a, a huge thing it's mm-hmm. important to know how they were forced into this situation and because of their resilience as a as a people in a community they got through it yeah but from a storytelling perspective, conflict-wise, that's there's not a lot of conflict there, you yeah, know? And so there wasn't much drama to be had or mined from those moments. Yeah, I totally agree. I felt a little bit like... Uh, I thought of 42 also. You know, I, I thought 42 yeah. was a little watered down. And I, I felt like 42 it, is also a museum. Movie. How it showed... <laughs> well, I thought... I, I think 42 is pretty good. I think I like it more than you. I think, I think that's pretty um, good. But some of those scenes are so intense in showing the racism that he oh, faces. Yeah, yeah. And I was sort of like waiting for those. I mean, the. Yeah. The, and the, when they do happen, they're good in this movie. Yeah, they're there. But I just, I don't know. I just imagined it was so much more forceful and direct and present. I, and, you know, you look at, you look at, um, you know, the political situations we've been in now. Oh, yeah. I kept you, thinking you how can't imagine, this movie yeah, is now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or just the story. I think the best scene in the movie prior to the baseball game is that scene with the with Lyle pitching to Billy. Yeah. That was the first scene that actually had tension. Totally. That agree. actually was talking that the scene metaphorically was about the whole situation. Yeah. About how they're both people and how the one side has views that are completely incorrect. Yeah. Um and there was actually built in tension, you know? Yeah. Cause, and that just goes to show how baseball in general has this built intention why is a genre that's why we have a podcast about it why is a genre it's such a good it's so good for movies yeah and so that scene to me was the first thing i was like okay this is what this movie should be yeah well that leads me to to my last point too is this is what i i sort of classify sports movies i guess especially baseball movies but i kind of classify sports movies into uh two categories there's the big what i call the big game movies yeah and then there's movies that aren't that <laughs> The yes. non-big game movies. Basically, the idea is like, does the whole climax come down to which side is going to win the big game and this at the did. end? And this totally did. Yeah. Well, my, my theory is I think the best sports movies don't need to rely on that because yeah. the character drama is so interesting. If you look at Bull Durham, if you look at Field of Dreams, it's if true. you look at The Sandlot yeah. and Moneyball, like those movies, they have... Obviously, great sports moments, but it doesn't come down to just who is going to win the big game at the end. That's true. And I think that if your character conflict and your drama is strong enough that you don't need that, that kind of makes for a better movie. That being said... The big game. In, the big in game was, movie great. was probably the was, was the, uh, the best sequence of the movie. It, it, so many of these plot lines finally kind of come together, yeah. which was so satisfying. But I will say, like now that I've seen it, it's like okay, well, you know, I kind of know who wins. It didn't. It felt like so, it didn't know what it wanted to be. It didn't know if it wanted to be a story about the internment camps, mm-hmm. about the people, about the resilience in the internment camps, or yeah. about the, the baseball, the sports, and the, the sports, baseball. and how that yeah. was the resilience. It, it kind of felt like these two parallel things that eventually met up at the end, yeah. but it wasn't throughout. Again, noble to juggle both sides, yeah. but why? Ha- again, why have Lyle both love baseball and rebel against his dad <laughs> Very over baseball? If at the end baseball, I, I don't, it just yeah. it was. It, I felt like I was just trying to do a little bit too much. Yeah. And if it honed in on again, I, I agree with these specific. great 
great character possibilities, yeah. great opportunity for drama, a wonderful world. Again, I I wish there were more movies that took place in That's what in I kept thinking. Camp. I wish there was a definitive story. Yeah, because it's fascinating. History. It deserves a Schindler's a Schindler's list. You I know? completely agree. So overall, hey, you should watch it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, we're kind of shitting on it, but yeah. absolutely, you should go out and check out this we're movie. We're snobs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, screw us. Yeah. You should absolutely, like, uh, all the bad stuff we just said, that being said. It's worth it. It's, yeah. I recommend you go and watch this movie because yeah, yeah. I, again, I wish that more movies took place in this part of history. Totally. It's a story that deserves to be told. It needs to be told. It's important. It's based on true events, which we're yeah. about to get all into. So and that was, well, that was, and that's my other nitpick. It's based on like some real people, but I wish it's just based on. I wish they had just told the story of some of these real people. Yeah, I I totally um, agree. Hey, what a good segue. Hey, let's should do we it. talk about some uh, inside baseball? Baseball in the movie. Baseball in the movie. Hey, let's do it. Amazing. Is that the official title of the segment? I think it's inside baseball. Colon, baseball in the movie. Well, that's cool. Yeah. That's good. That's the first time I put that together. Oh, really? I've been saying it this whole time. <laughs> I know, but I finally put oh, I was like, oh, it's a thing now, I guess. Yeah, it's an established thing. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> At least for me, it was. We've got so much to talk about. Uh, there's it. a lot going on in this movie that's super relevant to baseball. I will. I think we should say first, yeah. one seemingly glaring omission yes. of something we're not going to talk about is baseball in Japan. Because sure. there are other movies that take it's place whole thing. in Japan yeah. when we watch those movies. I totally want to get into like the Nippon League and all that. Stuff. Like It's an amazing... It deserves a whole episode. Exactly. And so we will get into it. This movie is kind of focusing on Japanese identity in America in terms of baseball. Yeah. And so I think that's what... There's plenty to focus on for, for just this one show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I wanted to know about baseball in Japanese American communities yeah. in America. Sort of how did this how did this begin? Despite our whole little preamble, my first thing is about baseball in Japan. Uh, <laughs> this is like a bad... Just to set the stage. Oh, no, perfect. Yeah. I just want everybody to, to kind of be on the right page. Baseball was popular. Are you on the same page as yourself? Uh, can you hear these pages? Can you hear these pages? <laughs> Baseball gained popularity in Japan as early as the 1870s, which is amazing. Right. Crazy. I feel like every time we learn about baseball in the world, it's never like, oh, yeah, it was 1982. No, yeah. It's always like, yeah. Just as long as us. 150 years ago. So baseball was already popular in Japan post-Civil War with immigration of Japanese people coming to America. So came baseball. The first recorded Japanese-American baseball team was the Excelsiors. They were formed in Hawaii. How fitting. That's so sad. Stanley died yesterday. Oh, that's so. right. Yeah, we're recording this right after yeah. Stanley's death. He, boy, he was great. I wonder if he knew about the Excelsiors. Let's do a podcast about it. About Stanley? <laughs> yeah. We'll watch every. We'll read every Stanley comic. A thousand, <laughs> thousand of them. I feel like every podcast we just pitch other podcasts. That that's all. That's have. our only joke. That's the only joke we have. <laughs> People are gonna notice. Right. Let's <laughs> make re- a podcast about that joke specifically. <laughs> we record these weeks apart, so yeah. it feels fresh every time. Oh yeah. Us. For that, for people to be like, ah. they're like, this is the third podcast I've listened to, and they're saying the joke all the time. <laughs> okay, the Excelsiors. Yeah. They were formed in Hawaii in 1899. Wow. Amazing. Reverend Taki Okamura. Baseball in Hawaii quickly explodes in popularity, and with the 1900s, it kind of spreads to the Pacific Northwest, as you would imagine. Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Sacramento. Another important... wouldn't say that San Francisco is part of the Pacific Northwest, but that's fine. Uh, it's more than Florida, I would I say. I guess. <laughs> Relative to the universe. 
1903, the Fuji Athletic Club of San Francisco was formed, and this was where we kind of first had sort of a league. Um, so competition was multiracial, which is pretty cool, with Caucasians, Filipinos, Portuguese, and Japanese laborers all competing against each other in a league. It grew to become so popular, yet also racism happened, right. that by 1910, the Japanese Pacific Coast Baseball League was formed for only players of Asian and specifically Japanese heritage, but there were teams in eight large cities along the West Coast, and they was segregated. It was basically like the Negro Leagues. Right. It had the same kind of setup, the same kind of organization. Right. There was barnstorming. They travel around. Right. So, But it's all through the Pacific Northwest. Right. Uh, these are called the Nisi Leagues. It's like second-generation Japanese-American immigrants, right. specifically. A couple of teams, pretty cool, the Nebraska Nisi, the Tijuana Nippons, the San Fernando Aces, and the San Pedro Gophers. The Gophers? Yeah, the Gophers. That's cool. Enough. I would have been on the Gophers. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's sort of setting the stage for baseball is popular in Japanese-American communities right. pre-World War II. Should we talk about baseball in the internment camps? Yeah, that's, that's kind of a cool uh, segue. Uh, the main part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that's entirely what this movie is about. One hundred percent. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Okay. So there were ten internment camps. There were dozens of what were called assembly centers, right? And these were like fairgrounds or racetracks that were kind of converted into, as we said, these sort of temporary holding locations. Uh, but eventually, everybody was all of the Japanese internees were moved to these ten relocation centers right. or internment camps. Manzanar and Tula Lake were in California. Poston and Gila River in Arizona. Granada in Colorado. Heart Mountain in Wyoming. Minidoka in Idaho. Topaz in Utah, hey. which is where the movie takes place. And uh, Rower and Jerome in Arkansas. Arkansas, uh, really? Wow. Yeah. The Manzanar camp... So I, I I've been to the Manzanar. Oh really? Where's it's, that one? It's uh it's in like the Sierra Nevada Sierra Nevada Mountains. Mm-hmm. It's like three hours from here. They still have structures up. They still have they have uh they still have buildings. Oh wow! And you can drive through the entire camp. It's like a square mile. It's wow. humongous. It's in the middle of the desert, right in front of this amazing set of mountains. It's really fascinating. Turn the whole thing into a museum. I was there for like four hours. I'm not kidding. It was really amazing. So if you're in Southern California or yeah. anywhere near these other ones, that sounds great. definitely try and get there and check it out because um, it's super cool. So some of this is about Manzanar because I just took it from the photos that I took of the exhibit. Sure. The Manzanar camp had, I want you to guess. How many people? How many teams? The Manzanar, oh. camp, the Manzanar camp had about 10,000 people living there. How many teams? Guess how many baseball teams they had. Uh, nine. They had a hundred teams. <laughs> what? They had one. That's insane. Uh-huh. Within the first year, they had a hundred teams playing in 12 different leagues. Wow. By 1942, there were 100 men's teams and 14 women's teams. They played a full schedule. 14 of, women's teams? 14 women's teams. What? This is what I'm saying. Like, wow. uh, it was this movie. The movie makes it be like, oh, we can have two teams playing exhibition games against each other. Well, then they kept talking in the movie about how many people were in the camp. I feel like yeah. they couldn't afford the extras because every shot, exterior shot, was like yeah. maybe 60 people yeah, or yeah. so. By 1942, again, Manzanar, 100 men's teams, 14 wow. women's teams. They played a full schedule of games that followed the regular Major League Baseball season. Tons of people attended these games. It was the social That's activity the yeah. in the camps. Again, both men and women participated in the sports. In some cases, Japanese-American baseball teams from the camps traveled to outside communities to play other teams. 
internees from Idaho competed in a state tournament in 1943, and there were games between prison guards and the Japanese-American teams, so that's pretty accurate yeah, to what yeah, we saw yeah. in the movie. Some of the teams at Manzanar, this is pretty cool, the Manzanites, the Scorpions, the Padres, the Hasbins, kind of like the real Padres now. <laughs> Hey, they're farm systems. <laughs> and we're only a year or two away before they're the Astros. All right. <laughs> Season three, we're going to be checking in on this, baby. I love to shit on the Padres. <laughs> Sorry if anybody's in San Diego. Hey, I apologize. That's the one thing we have in common, <laughs> shitting on the Padres. We also had the San Pedro Gophers, the San Fernando Aces, the, some of these team identities you know, from the pre-war mm-hmm. era were carried over. Sure, sure. And some of the women's teams, we had the Dusty Chicks. And the modern heirs. The Dusty Chicks? The Dusty That's Chicks. That's a cool name. Because they were all... No, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a quote from the museum exhibition. This is pretty cool. For players and spectators, young and old, baseball, the great American pastime, meant friendly competition, an afternoon of fun and relaxation, and a way to affirm their enduring patriotism. Hmm. That's pretty cool. That was like a, a running theme yeah. that I found in a lot of this research is baseball wasn't just fun and distracting. It was also, hey, look, we are Americans. 100%. This is our identity. A response to Pearl Harbor. Yeah. We, it wasn't screw you. Yeah. It wasn't we're going to you know hide away from our Japanese identity. It was we are Americans and we love this country and look at what you're doing to us. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Here's a quote from the museum. Putting on a baseball uniform was like wearing the American flag. That was Takeo Suyo, who right. was one of the internees. I um, heard that when they were traveling around playing other teams, if they were not wearing their baseball uniform, if they tra- if they changed their clothes into civvies, they would get arrested. Makes sense, right? You know, suddenly, we have our baseball teams and our baseball fans. Ball fans who cheer their teams as heartily as though the teams were the Brooklyn Dodgers or the New York Yanks. Nearly everyone, from the oldest to the youngest, is baseball conscious here. That was Mayeko Kitayama from December thirteenth, nineteen forty three. Which these these camps still run until the you know forty five yeah, yeah. Uh, insane without baseball life in the camp would have been miserable. Ansel Adams was allowed into the camp I read that, yeah. and uh, was allowed to take some photos because they wanted to document it right. uh, for. I thought he snuck his camera in. No, he was allowed in, but under pretty heavy censorship. Mm. So they said basically, you can go in and you can't take any pictures of the watchtowers right. and you can't take any pictures of the armed guards. But he took pictures of some of the the monuments, memorials that were put up there later right. on. Some of the daily life in the camp. The photos are really amazing. They're available Same online. Yeah. yeah, everybody should check them out. But there's this beautiful iconic photo of a baseball game kind of in full swing mm-hmm. a glorious wide shot you see a batter like mid swing yeah. i saw uh, that picture yeah it's pretty it's pretty amazing during the movie at one point they show real camera footage that's right and that was from a guy named uh, that's this is the guy who snuck his camera in yes he snuck his camera his name's dave tatsuno and i'm assuming mm-hmm. it was like a super eight i'm not sure what yeah. the technology was at the time yeah like a wind up and honestly at that point i was like okay this is the best part of the movie <laughs> i was like i kind of wished it was a documentary at that point yeah because it was really cool they showed footage of the games they showed mm-hmm. footage of um just some of the gardens and yeah i watched daily, another daily clip. life of the um, camp. i watched a clip of, I, mean, I think it was Dave Tassano narrating over the footage, wow. which is really cool. It's actually all the whole video is in it's in a special collection of the J. Willard Marriott Library at the University of Utah. Cool. So you can go watch that. It's like an hour. But at one point, they, they showed footage of a girl skating because they they put all this water out because they wanted to make an ice rink because oh. um, it was going to freeze because it was yeah. so fucking cold because they're in the yeah. desert. Jeez. But only one girl had skates. <laughs> oh my god! So she was the one person that was skating. Wow. Um, but yeah, check it out. That's in the movie as well. Go ahead. Here's here's something that I thought was super cool. Branch Rickey, 
Our guy. Yeah, our guy. Branch. Uh, Once again, his Branch. first name's Branch. Did you... Uh, did I started you, a podcast that? about that. Yes, I did. <laughs> I wonder if people... I feel like people... Like, both were repeating jokes, but also people mm-hmm. won't have listened to the one in the fan when we talked about this. Oh, yeah. This. No one's... Like, you're like, what the hell are these guys talking about? We're uh, talking about how a human's name is Branch. Listen to... <laughs> and he's the only one. Go listen to episode seven about the fan. Branch Ricky, obviously, who would be responsible later on for bringing Jackie Robinson into Major League Baseball in 1947. Branch Ricky sent a letter to all of the WRA camps expressing interest in scouting some of the Nisi mm. players. In an open letter to all of the incarceration camps, Ricky stated of the Nisi baseball players, the fact that these boys are American boys is good enough for the Brooklyn club. As part of a radical plan, he invited the Nisi players to participate in open tryouts for the team. And in September of 1943, three Nisi players, two pitchers, Roy Sayaguchi and Henry Honda, and third baseman Ichi Hashimoto, uh, attended tryouts in front of scout George Sisler. Mm. Uh, none of them made the team, but still pretty cool that Branch Ricky did that. Branch, man. God, just extending that olive what branch. A cool dude. <laughs> wow, okay. Just extending that olive himself. Oh, boy. <laughs> keep, uh, keep on digging, man. <laughs> keep digging that hole for yourself. His name is Branch! Sorry, go ahead. So anyway, so that's sort of an overview of Baseball in the internment camps. Again, this history is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Uh, the camps. I got some. The oh, you got more? I got more. Oh, okay. I, I was going to do my clothes off, but no, no, I got more. Oh, keep going. And so did I you, found you out, did some research for the show. Yes, I did some <laughs> research for the show. Normally, I like to do a lot of the movie research about the making movie. Yeah. There is not a lot about this. The making of this movie. I mean, uh, the um, the history is. In so fact, old. my new favorite segment, the IMDb useless trivia segment. <laughs> there's no trivia there's on this movie. There's none. I guess we can add one. I guess we got to stick to real life history. Dang it. So, yeah, I have some uh, about this guy named Kenichi. Okay. Zenimura. Okay. Who, honestly, I think the movie is based upon the guy's dad and this guy. Okay. And I, upon researching this man, I wish that the movie was about this dude. So, Kenichi, he was born in 1900. Okay. In Japan. Then his family moved to Honolulu, and then they moved to the Pacific Northwest, kind of like how you were saying a lot of people did, in terms of baseball as well. And then he moved to Fresno. <laughs> I think Fresno. I Fresno's come up a couple times with. with There's a lot of Japanese figures. baseball history there. Yeah. yeah, he was a player and a manager. He okay. played at all nine positions. He's like Kike Hernandez. <laughs> he was. In addition to organizing barnstorming tours to Japan, Zenimura was instrumental in the negotiations that led to Babe Ruth's visit to Japan in 1934. And he also helped arrange a barnstorming tour to Japan for the Negro, Negro League All Star Philadelphia Royal Giants. He was a baseball ambassador for Japan. Like, he was awesome. awesome. And then, the internment camps happened. Jeez. He was sent to Arizona, the, um, the one in Arizona, the Gila River one you mentioned. Okay. And this guy loved baseball so much that he was the one that built a, he built a field for the Japanese in Fresno. He built one in, um, I think, the Pacific Northwest. And then when he went to Arizona, mm. he was like, all right, let's start a field. So he built a, te- uh, a field, and he organized a team, right, okay. in the camp. Guys from the other blocks, as he was building the... Um, field they asked him uh what are you doing and so they were he was like i'm building a baseball field and so pretty soon all these people uh this is a quote from his son pretty soon all these people were coming in with shovels helping to clear the area we piled up the brush and burned it and my dad somehow got a bulldozer to level the ground wow uh then we floored it to pack the ground down 
With only, this is another quote about them, with only two suitcases to their name, the Zinimuras had to be resourceful and clandestine. As this project had not yet been approved by camp officials, but Kenichi threw that or knew that his field would not only improve camp sentiment, but also improve relations between the internees and the outside world. It wasn't just for recreation, this field was a necessity. There's another quote mm. from his son. Using picks and shovels, the workers created two dugouts. They framed these with wood borrowed from a lumberyard, kind of like in the movie, wow. during nighttime forays. They also used stolen wood to construct a small grandstand, which even had a reserved seat section. Wow. Um, and they used the the baselines were made from flour. The bases were rice bags. They used a tin coffee cup that stood outside the park to raise funds for better equipment. Uniforms were made of mattress fabric. And then they had the home. So the only thing that's left from the field is the home plate. And that's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Wow. And I'm going to show you a picture of it because it's really, really cool. It was made from wood. Uh, You know. Did you see this picture? No, but I, I was going to show you. Where is it? Off the air because it doesn't make sense to, for us to just show right? a picture. Yeah. Wow, look at that. Isn't that Viewers, cool? it's really cool. It's this old wood home plate. Yeah. It's got like brackets on the side. It's so it's, it's all really, dusty. really cool. It's cool. I was gonna show you some pictures. So again, when I went to at the Manzanaran tournament camp, yeah. they took the main dance hall, which was sort of their main community center, and they had town meetings there yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the community and dances and socials and all that, like we see in the movie. That's turned into a museum, but then you, they've got markers of where everything else was in the uh, camp. That's cool. So you can kind of, again, it's like a square, it's like a square mile. So right. you can drive around in your car and then stop and get out, and they've got outlined in the dust this That's is cool. where blocks of uh, of um bunks were this is where community gardens were and they've got the baseball field there and they still have the home plate and the pitcher's mound the rubber uh, the pitcher's rubber, which is made out of wood. Oh, that's cool. At the field, and you can walk in the field, and there's a baseball there. I take pictures. I got teared up, man. It was really... Oh, of course. It was really amazing and sentimental to kind of be there and see it, knowing this was all weaved throughout the museum as, right. you know, community life, blah, blah, blah. Also, during baseball season, yeah. this is what happened. You know, they, they had, like, a both a baseball part of the exhibit, and then also you kind of go through year by year, and every time in the spring and in the summer, there are all these little notes about what was going on in baseball at the time. It oh, was, that's pretty cool. It was cool. such a huge part of, I think, the community. And, the and clearly and almost at like every camp has a story like this. Yeah. Ex- and um, and 100 teams, was, 100 yeah. men's teams, and 14 camp. women's teams. Yeah, it was one camp. Um, and not even the biggest camp. The biggest camp had, I think, 18,000. That's insane. Uh, sorry, 100 and, Oh, yeah, 18,000. So I'm reading all these quotes from an article from the from the Baseball Hall of Fame okay. called The F- uh, Field of Dreams in the Arizona Defer- a Desert, wow. uh, written by Alex Coffey. Wow. But this quote, this is the best quote. <clears throat> I'm just going to read it verbatim. Read it. Quote, The teenagers and the adults would gather every night to watch the games, said actor Pat Morita to Sports Illustrated. Do you know who that is? Yeah. That's the Karate Kid guy. That's right. He was a kid in these internment camps, at that really? camp specifically, yeah. Wow. Quote, I had never seen a live baseball game before, so this was my introduction to baseball, sitting and cheering with a couple thousand rabid fans. Wow. And I watched a little bit of some, I don't, it was like a, it was the weirdest, I googled, what did I YouTube? It was like, a, I think I wrote the words like Japanese baseball internment camps history, mm-hmm. something like that. And this video of some like public access show came up. Okay. These two dudes talking. It was like an ongoing show they were doing about the Negro Leagues. And this episode specifically was about the I Japanese. S- I saw that. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. And so then they were like, "We're going to show some videos about that." And it was like this weird hodgepodge of different clips of stuff. Okay. And one of them was Pat Morita in his old self 
visiting the old wow. uh, camp and him talking about it, and that was really cool. That's um, just on YouTube. That's just on YouTube. Go check I it out, I forget what people. it's called, but look it up. <laughs> but Zinimura, I got a few more facts about him. He organized a 32-team league, uh, broken down into three divisions, sort of by experience level. He began placing ads in the Arizona Republic to attach the attention of local semi-pro teams in the area. Wow. Among those who responded were the Phoenix Colored Nine, the Phoenix Thunderbirds, and the three-time high school state champion Tucson Badgers. When the Badgers came to visit the Zenimore Field, they had a record of 52-0. When they left, that record was 52-1. They super <laughs> lost. Um, and this is a quote from a player on the, on the Badgers, the white high school team. In the back of our mind, we wanted to make up for pearl harbor mm. i saw the fence and said god this is like a prison it was a game that most of us will never forget i realized that these people were americans just like myself the more i thought about it the more i thought what a big mistake we made by putting these people in this rela- relocation camp yeah super sad and cool um and the last quote i have is from the hall of fame uh, curator talking about the home plate he said this wooden home plate was so much more than a corner of a dusty baseball diamond or the shape that helped define a batter's strike zone um, it was and is a vibrant symbol of hope for those who were denied their freedom and an expression of what it meant to be an American for those who were stripped of their civil rights. It is an important artifact in the history of our country, not just the history of our national pastime. Yeah, it's really an amazing piece of history. Just to just to kind of wrap up with the internment camps. So camps were eventually closed. I think the last one was even closed in 1946. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, later, Jimmy Carter opened an investigation mm-hmm. into whether or not the camps were legal under the government at the time, and Ronald Reagan authorized uh, some uh, reparation payments. 20, 20 grand? Yeah, 20 grand to each each living person. Anyway, it's really fascinating history. Again, it is not taught enough in schools. It's not widely known. I, I think we both encourage everybody to go out and, and check out this history. Yeah, and the amount of it, like, we... We did a lot of research, but it's still like just the tip of the iceberg. Barely There's scratching so the much more. In fact, if you want to do some more, <laughs> there are tons of books written not just about the internment camps mm-hmm. and life in the internment camps, but specifically baseball in the internment camps. Uh, the classic one is a book called Baseball Saved Us by Ken oh. Mochizuki. Uh, and illustrated by someone named Dom Lee. That's like a, I guess, like a classic kids staple kids book. But there are also plenty of novels that are written about this. The Lucky Baseball, my story in a. Japanese American Internment Camp by Suzanne Lawrence, Diamond in the Desert by Catherine Fitzmorris, Barbed Wire Baseball by Marissa Moss, uh, Jay Feldman's Suitcase Sefton and the American Dream, two, and then there are a couple of films about this. Day of Independence is a short film by a filmmaker named Chris Tashima, and of course, American Pastime, directed by Desmond Nakano. That's right. So just to kind of wrap up, our discussion of the internment camps. I thought this was really emotional. This is from an article in 2014 when the Giants won the World Series uh, against the Kansas City Royals. The article basically said, today, the players, this, this is players of teams in the internment camps. Today, many of the players, along with other camp attorneys who did not play in the game, are glued to the World Series between the San Francisco Giants and the Kansas City Royals. They watch with particular pride the finesse of Travis Ishikawa of the Giants, as well as Jeremy Guthrie and Nori Aoki of the Royals. So, you know, there's there's an amazing heritage here. There's an amazing history. Everybody should go and check it out. Everyone should go Google Travis Ishikawa's walk-off home run to get them to the World Series. Okay. It's one of the best, best moments (laughs) against the Cardinals. It was incredible. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, I didn't know the Giants won the World Series. Oh, did you not know that? Moving on. They won, uh, they won a couple a couple times. Actually, uh, three times in the last uh, oh, six years oh or so. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Anyway, go on. 
Oh, one more fact about Zanimura. Uh, after the internment camps, he returned to Fresno and continued to play competitive ball till he was 55. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so the next thing that I think that we should talk about is I found this one figure. Again, there are so many people. Clearly so many. To, to come out of this history who have some kind of lifelong affiliation with baseball. I found this one story. I just thought it was super cool, and I felt like we should highlight it for people to kind of understand the extent that baseball played to these people's identities in the camps. So this this one guy, his name was George Hatsuo Omachi, and his nickname was Hats, which is the best. Honestly, that's what a the great best. name. I love when nicknames are plural yeah. for one person. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite. thing. He did it. He like did Beans it from Even Stevens. Oh, there you go. It's a great nickname. So Hats Omachi, he lived in Fresno, California. He played for the San Fernando Aces, and he was very involved with baseball before World War II. Okay. He was interned at the Jerome Relocation Center in Arkansas. Obviously, very active in sort of the Jerome baseball scene. It's crazy. There was ten camps, and they all had such an active. They all had between. I think the smallest camp was like seven thousand people. The biggest camp was eighteen something. Uh, They all had just tons of baseball going on. But but he was, I guess, even with so much going on, he was still kind of seen as like a titan of. Japanese baseball in these cool. internment camps. Japanese American baseball in these internment camps. Uh, he played for the Denson All Stars, was his team in in Jerome. After the war, he moved back to Fresno. He was extremely. I went to Fresno. The, yeah, it was. Uh, I bet he knew uh, Kenichi. Maybe, yeah. I, well, he was very active both as a player and as a coach and mm-hmm. as a manager in community leagues, in schools. He kept playing. He would coach kids. Right. He organized tournaments for you know some of these independent Fresno teams to have exhibition games and right, showcases right. and all that. And then eventually he was hired by the New York Mets as a scout. In 1968, hey. he worked for he worked as a scout for many years. He worked for the San Francisco Giants. He worked the who the uh, you know. Oh, I love those guys. <laughs> I couldn't tell. Are you a fan of the, <laughs> fan of the Giants? Uh, that's the other little joke. That, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he worked for the San Francisco Giants. He worked for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He worked for the Milwaukee Brewers. He works for the Houston Astros. Holy crap! He was the main central california scout mm-hmm. uh for all those teams and specifically kind of the the main scout in touch with these nisi independent japanese baseball right. minor league systems his nickname eventually was the surgeon general of the nisi baseball experience that's a very very long nickname <laughs> or hats for short sure. <laughs> short on time surgeon general hats Hats apparently was unparalleled in his baseball knowledge. Wow. He would have, uh, he had this reputation of just getting the mechanics of baseball down to such a science. Uh, This is one thing I wrote down that he did, which is so cool. He would have young pitchers come to pitch in just shorts. He would tell them, don't wear long pants, just wear shorts, Hmm. so that he could see where their muscles in their legs were active and Holy. tightening during their leg kick. Wow. And basically what he would say is, he would go up to them and say, you're working too much. Wow. He would say, you've got to do this a hundred times in a game. If you're working three, four, five different muscles in your legs oh, to get power, yeah. I can see where the muscles are are constricting and tightening. That's too much work. Can you imagine if this guy was alive now? I know. If he was scouting now with oh, all the technology He, he, he would be one of the biggest figures in all of baseball. Yeah. And so he would say, you got to figure out how to do it with just your hip, just the part of your muscle that connects your leg to your hip, Mm -hmm. because that's the most efficient. And then like hundreds of pitchers kind of went on to have careers because of this guy. He was the only scout. 
I found this in more than one place. He was the only scout, in addition to Buck O'Neill, mm-hmm. who a team would sign a player based off of his verbal recommendation alone. Holy. What? Wow. Power. That, I mean, yeah, that doesn't happen much anymore. Yeah. That's that's incredible for a, a guy to At say, all, really? hey, I think this kid's pretty special. Yeah. And they go on. Okay. Someone, you know, someone, someone he uh, sort of gave that thumbs up to. You know who you know who knows? Hats knows. Hats knows. No, no, no. One of these players who we yeah. kind of helped out. I don't oh, know if oh you were talking about yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of a little guy named Tom Seaver. Oh, but, dang. Uh, yeah. Tom wow. Seaver got the Hats thumbs up. He just uh, pulled his name right out of a hat. <laughs> hats Omachi unfortunately died in 1995 mm. in a car crash, but he was wildly respected in the baseball community. In a car crash? Yeah. Oh, no. Super sad. With a, with a pitcher. Oh, no. I think he was traveling with a pitcher who then survived. But hats, we take our hat off to you because you're a badass. That was a good joke. (laughs) That was good. Thanks, Paul. You're welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast where we only make jokes about podcasts and I grade uh, Andrew's jokes. (laughs) (laughs) You a fan of the Giants, Paul? Who? (laughs) Yeah, I love them. I love them. Big fan. Cool. So that's that's Hatsomachi. Yeah. All right. Our hats. Off to you, oh, hats. Good joke. That was Paul. better. I think my joke. I think that original. was better. Yeah, was original. We're gonna, I'm going to edit yours out. <laughs> Paul's taking care of me. Yeah. <laughs> Here's something that I thought was so cool that yeah. I'd love to talk about. The first Japanese baseball player in all of Major League Baseball. Yes, please. Okay. Do you want to take a guess who it was? Yeah, take a I, guess. I I, I, d- a guess. I did learn his name in my research. I came across him. Oh. Totally forgot his name. I just wanted you to guess Ichiro and be so wrong. <laughs> oh, I knew it wasn't Ichiro. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. The first Japanese baseball player in Major League Baseball, Masanori Murakami. Yes. This is an amazing story. What year? I'll get there. Okay. Okay. Murakami was a teenage baseball prodigy in Japan. In 1962, he signed with the Nippon Professional Baseball League's Nankai Hawks and made his Major League debut at age 19. Wow. He's like Otani. He's like Juan Soto. That's crazy. (laughs) It's amazing. Or Akuna, right? Yeah. I think Akuna's 20. Is he? When we're recording this, he's 20. Mm, Akuna, still, very Akuna young. just last night won uh, Rookie of the Year. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. We're dating our partner. And Otani won the for the American. Oh, yeah. Like, I guess yeah. that's relevant. That's a little the, more relevant. I, I, feel, I, I was going to say something at the end. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So, Otani, congratulations. Well, Otani never would have made it if it wasn't for Mazanori Murakami. According to Murakami, the manager of the Nankai Hawks said to him, Mashi, you'll sign a contract with the Nankai Hawks. I said, no, I have to go to college. Before he left my house, he said, if you sign a contract, I'll send you to the United States. And that changed my mind. <laughs> so in Good ni- for him. Yeah. So in 1964, the Hawks sent Murakami to the United States in like a, a pitcher exchange program. Hmm. It's literally, I found it described as a student exchange program. But for baseball. But for this one pitcher. Oh. So they sent him to the United States to pitch in the minor leagues. Like they made the program specifically for him because they hadn't done it before? It wasn't even a program. It was just, uh, hey, we'll send you our guy do to this. do this. Got yeah. It. Guess where they sent him, Paul? I'm assuming the Giants. They sent him to your favorite team. Surprise, surprise. The San Francisco whoop, whoop, whoop. Giants. Makes sense. He said, I wasn't exactly nervous. After all, I don't understand English and everything was so new. I thought only about pitching. Besides, yeah. I felt I had nothing to lose. Where's That's, this movie? I'd watch this movie. I know, right? This yeah. I, I'm so excited for this movie to... <laughs> You're saying that like it's actually being to, made. <laughs> to make it, hopefully one day, I hope. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, Murakami, here's another thing. 
Murakami's left-handed sidearm delivery proved an asset in the United States where deceptive pitching still wasn't as common oh, interesting. as it was in Japan. Hmm. So they brought him in because he had this special gift that sort of... Yeah, yeah. It's like Moneyball. It's like nobody does this. Mm-hmm. And they brought him in and then he was super effective when he came to the United States. Uh, he pitched in the minors. Mm-hmm. And then on September 1st, 1964, Murakami pitched a scoreless eighth inning for the San Francisco Giants in a 4-1 to loss to the New York Mets. Mm. He made his debut at Shea Stadium. Mm-hmm. Where I attended many birthday parties growing Did up. Did you really? Oh, yeah. That's I love funny. Shea Stadium. <laughs> what he, better place to have a laugh? Seriously. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a Mets dig. And, <laughs> and uh, he played with Willie McCovey and Willie Mays. Um, Willie McCovey, what an amazing, piece. yeah, what an amazing team. That's good. Yeah, fuck. In the end, so you're telling me the Giants were the first ones. In the end, Murakami's cool. first, yes, that's true. In the end, Murakami's first year in the majors proved a rousing success. He had nine appearances and a 1.8 ERA. Wow. After the 1964 season, the Hawks asked Murakami to return to Japan Hmm. And the Giants were like, nope. No, 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 no. <laughs> they refused on the grounds that they had him under contract. And the Japanese baseball commissioner had to step in to solve the uh, oh, wow. to solve the crisis. Yeah. Uh, he negotiated a compromise so that Murakami spent the 1965 season with the Giants. Okay. He pitched to a 375 ERA. And then in 1966, he returned to Japan, where he went on to pitch for another 18 seasons. What? Never pitched in the United States wow. again. The next Japanese player to join Major League Baseball was pitcher Hideo Nomo. Nomo, really? He made his debut in 1995. Get, are you serious? So yeah. from 1966 to 1995, there were no Japanese For players. 30 years. No, like... There were no Japanese players whatsoever. Were there any Japanese-American players? I, I'm not sure. I, I, I actually... I really wanted to find this out, and yeah. it's incredibly hard to find that, that sure, information. Yeah. Uh, it's much easier to find. I, I typed in Japanese-American baseball players, and yeah. it's like, the best baseball players from Japan. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Google. But yeah, he wow. was a trailblazer in the 60s, yeah. and then 30 and years then, later. Yeah. Amazing. Well, that just shows how important baseball is in Japan. Absolutely. Because they were like, no, 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 no he's great. We're going to keep him. Because yeah. we, we have our own baseball thing going on over here. So then just to, just to continue the, the sort of wave of Japanese players coming to the United States. In 95, Hideo Nomo at 26. He was one of Japan's best players. He I ex- remember Nomo was a huge deal. He exploited a contractual loophole oh. where he voluntarily retired in Japan got him out of his contract, and then he was a free agent and able to sign in America. Cool. So he ended his Japanese career, signed with the Dodgers, best team. He became an immediate sensation, and uh, uh, sort of from 1995 on, kind of paved the way for Japanese players to come to the United States as sort of a more regular thing than once every 30 years, which is pretty fantastic. Uh, Murakami said... I was very happy to see another Japanese player finally make it to the major leagues after all these years. He was alive still? He was still alive. Oh, wow. That's yep. cool. I was very happy to see another Japanese player finally make it to the major leagues after all these years. Uh, he told a Japanese reporter after Nomo's debut on May 2nd in 1995, Nomo's performance today brought back a lot of fond memories for me. My heart was pumping for him. I thought that was just That's beautiful. That's so nice. Yeah. Uh, kind of cool how uh, rival-wise, like the Giants and Dodgers are both intertwined in this yeah well i mean this i think that's part of what we've been seeing is this history of 
Japanese and Japanese American baseball identity along mm-hmm. the West Coast. Yeah, no, which totally makes sense. It was pretty cool. Pacific Rim, yeah, it makes sense. Nomo won the National League Rookie of the Year in 1995. Uh, he threw the first of his two career no hitters in 1996, well, and two? Wow. ultimately he played in America for 13 years. Were they both? Were they against the Padres? That's my guess. <laughs> the has beens. Not to discredit <laughs> Nomo at all, but <laughs> both of Lincecum's no hitters were the Padres. <laughs> I think shocked. I'm pretty sure. Can't yeah. believe it. Anyway. We had a few more pitchers then. It was strictly pitchers from Japan for a couple years until our guy, hey. Ichiro Suzuki. You blew it all up. I don't even need to say the word Suzuki. No, you really don't. It's just Ichiro. God. And I'll back that up with science Please a little do. bit later on. Okay. Ichiro's played 27 seasons combined between Japan and Major League Baseball. Oh, Ichiro is the first position player. Right. That's Prior to that, it was yeah. like, they're only pitchers. If you haven't right. seen Ken Burns slash you don't know anything about baseball... Go slash, watch that. Yeah, go, go do it. Definitely go watch that before you yeah. listen to this. But yeah, Ichiro is the first Japanese position player cool. to play in the U.S. He played nine seasons with the Oryx Blue Wave of the Nippon Professional Baseball League, 12 seasons with the Seattle Mariners, two and a half seasons with the Yankees, three seasons with the Marlins, and half a season back with the Mariners before retiring question mark because he might come back in 2019 he'd still be pretty good amazing yeah he's still great how old is he now 59 (laughs) 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 jir bartolo's thing about coming back (laughs) yeah crazy great okay ichiro has so many records he has the single season hit record with 262 hits 262 hits there's a hundred single season there's 162 games (laughs) <laughs> and he's got 260 have you hits. seen his uh that the, the graphic of his spray like oh, where he hits yeah. his, all his lifetime it's hits amazing. and where it is and it's everywhere on the field it's so cool um, i feel like in one of them it was like people were commenting he has a couple of infield triples sure like he somehow got to third he hit the times. first he hit the first inside the park home run in the all-star game ever oh yeah yeah god he's the best he's got 10 consecutive 200 plus hit seasons that's a record. Crazy. He's got the most hits of all Japanese players in history, and he played only he only played there for like ten years. It's amazing. Combined between Japan and Major League Baseball, he's got the most hits of all players all time. And that honestly should that's I agree. I think that that's, should be the right. That's the I record. agree. That's yeah. the record. Like, it's amazing. Oh no, it's not the Major League. Who cares? I know. Yeah, it's incredible. P. Rose cares. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, he cared about other things too. <laughs> and. Uh, Look uh, how well that worked out for him. Yeah, in his uh, in his rookie year in two thousand one, Ichiro became the rookie of the year, and also he won the MVP in the same year. Yeah. Well over three thousand hits in Major League Baseball alone, over forty three hundred hits combined between Major League Baseball and Japan. Most ever, he literally has decades worth of MVP awards, wow. batting titles, Gold Gloves, All Star selections. All kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. especially between the two leagues. I like, I like, I wrote that to sum it up because the it's like the longest Wikipedia page I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it just keeps going. Even the even the table yeah. of contents is like 1996, 1997, and another one. 2016, oh 2017. It's so insane. His success is credited with paving the way for many Japanese players to come over, including Hideki Matsui, mm-hmm. Kenji Joshima, Sag Taguchi, So Taguchi, excuse me, and Kazuo Matsui. He's amazing. He's, he's amazing. Incredible. He's 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 a national treasure of two countries. I wrote this down. Yeah. And we can look it up if you want, but I I didn't print it out cuz it was too long. Ichiro holds 26 different records in Major League Baseball. Wow. It's like 
they're all like most consecutive seasons with 200 plus hits, you know, fewest strikeouts in most consecutive seasons by any player. Blah, 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 blah. He's Crazy. just like, it's insane. I just, I counted them all. It was so many. I remember being a kid and I was at my dad's work. Mm-hmm. It's a tangent. Your favorite things. I love tangents. <laughs> um, and my, we were listening to uh, uh, sports radio in the Bay area and they were having people call in about, Who's the most stand-up traditional baseball players? Like, who are the guys that just day in, day out, get it done, and they're great, and they don't say anything, and they're just awesome? And people are calling in with names. And I remember being like, I don't know, fucking 12, and being like, I want to call in. And I called in. You knew who I said, Andrew? I fucking said Ichiro. Wow. And they were like, oh, yeah. Like, that's, like, honestly, probably the most, the best, best example. Answer. And I was wow. like, hell yeah. And I was on the radio. It's a great memory I have. That's awesome. <laughs> Fuck Barry Bonds. <laughs> I know. Well, he's not that at all. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to say fuck Barry Bonds. I know. I, I love Barry. You know, as as we talked about in the fan, I have a very complicated relationship yeah. with Barry Bonds. But Ichiro... Nobody has a complicated relationship with Nobody. Ichiro. Everyone Everybody loves Ichiro. Everybody loves him. Yeah. He's the best. Actually, let's let's give you some facts about yeah. why Ichiro is so cool. Not some facts, some evidence. This, this story just like... This made me tear up, honestly. When he first came to the United States, mm-hmm. he especially enjoyed trips to Kansas City because he would talk with former Le- Negro League star Buck O'Neill, mm. who we've talked about a little bit before. We're going to do a yeah. show on him at some point. When Buck O'Neill died in 2006, Ichiro sent a very large memorial wreath to the funeral service. The following year, mm. he visited the Negro League's baseball museum while on a road trip to Kansas City, and he made what, as of 2016, remains the largest contribution ever made to the museum by an active major league baseball player really i thought that was amazing i didn't know any of that yeah I wow, that's it was awesome so cool Ichiro's agent tony atanzio uh he described his client's status this is an actual quote when you mail ichiro something from the states you only have to use that name ichiro on the address <laughs> and he gets it in japan he's that big that's crazy <laughs> that's amazing he's actually he's i think he's one of if not the only players to use his uh first name yeah huh. on, on the jersey because that's the traditional way of doing it in japan he oh chose, really yeah, i did chose, not know that i think so don't quote me on that oh, okay <laughs> in this podcast <laughs> that we're doing that we're doing where we talk about facts and stuff yeah <laughs> and, anyway it's very rare for people to do that here oh yeah no but, one doesn't but but he had it in can you imagine he's steve just, yeah <laughs> who's that jeff Someone i don't know i'm just steve pierce i guess i guess <laughs> it's just a weird yeah we don't Is do that, that his name steve pierce who won the mvp i was just saying World a series. name random name oh the guy who won this year yeah what was his name I've already forgotten. <laughs> uh, the guy who hit the home runs. Oh yeah, yeah. Wasn't David Price? Hey, no, uh, it no, should it, probably could have. They should have done. Should have been Nathan Eovaldi. I mean, yeah. can I say what Eovaldi did was so amazing? I know this it's is incredible. Like this is a tangent, past, of a tangent of a tangent. But yeah, I got I teared up watching that, and so it was you know, incredible. You know who else did? Rick hmm. Porcello. That's who. He said it made him cry, and yeah, I was like, it's incredible. Too. Just to wrap up here, uh, we love each other. <laughs> yeah. There are currently seven Japanese players uh, on active rosters in Major League Baseball. They are currently... Like from straight, just Japan? From Japan. Okay. Yep. Uh, Kenta Maeda. Sure. Masahiro Tanaka. Yu Darvish. Junichi Tazawa. Kazuhisha. Makita. Yoshihisa. Hirano. And of course, of course, who's the last one? Ichiro. No. What? Who? Shohei Otani. Oh, I'm so idiot. dumb. <laughs> Ichiro's technically retired. <laughs> technically. And Otani just won the, the, the who, year. Who's Otani? Um, 
Maybe that's like, that's great. Yeah, I feel like so. What you, how many? You seven? Seven. I feel like again, that's a testament to how important baseball is in Japan. Sure, and how seriously they take it, and they don't want to lose players. Absolutely. Yeah, their their league is so robust. I can't wait to talk about it in one of these future podcasts. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's this weird again. We've talked about a little bit of this of the the beauty of the league of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, mixing with the beauty of integration. Yeah. You know, I wish that there were more Japanese players here, but also it's amazing that the league in Japan is so robust. Well, and there's some Japanese American, but there's a uh, Kurt Suzuki, the catcher mm-hmm. on the Braves. He's yeah. a fourth, evidently a fourth generation Japanese American. I used him in fantasy baseball this year. He's really good. Yeah, yeah. he was really good. So there are there are Japanese Americans playing as well. Again, it's it's. It was. I really wanted to find that information because it seems yeah. like that's the heart of this movie. You know that totally. this talk. It's a lot harder to find than just the facts and figures on yeah. Japanese players who have come over. But they make more of a splash. Yeah, it, I, which I guess is at the heart of the movie, kind of what they want. Yeah, they don't. They want to be treated as regular Americans. Yeah, because guess what? They are. They are exactly. <laughs> Either way, there are amazing Japanese players who have played both now and in the past in yeah. Major League Baseball, and obviously tons of people who baseball was so important to them, and they are so important to the history of baseball yeah. uh, from these internment camps that you know never got a chance to play Major League Baseball. But just as with the Negro Leagues, I'm sure we're all of this, all of this amazing talent, all these amazing stories. Yeah. There are again, we've only scratched the surface of this this There's conversation so on baseball in these internment camps, yeah. but. There are these amazing stories of just these long playoff series yeah. between these teams and these heated rivalries that developed. And again, these camps were open for years. So just yeah. these these baseball teams, these baseball stories and, and rivalries kids emerged. Like Pat Morita, who literally this is their only with it their whole uh, lives carried it with it their whole lives, but it was literally their first introduction to baseball. Oh yeah, it's amazing. So it's really history that's worth celebrating. Yeah. It's well not and the, worth not celebrating, but worth. Not ever forgetting. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, celebrating the identity that yes. uh, uh, was so resilient during this really difficult and dark period Correct. of American history. I think we need to rate this movie now. Let's do it. Do you have one? I've got one. I'm going to make it up because I, <laughs> once again, my favorite part of this whole podcast, I forgot to make one up. Okay, go ahead. I would rate this movie, again, we're just talking about the movie. Yeah. I so so specific. When I when I came up with this, I thought we were gonna do like, oh, I'd rate it like a single or a double. But they know we so we've I lost love it. our minds. Oh, yeah. Screw it. Oh, it's my favorite part too. <laughs> I would rate this movie as a pitcher going six innings mm-hmm. and giving up no runs, uh, and then they come out for good. the seventh mm-hmm. and they give up like five. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they lose like, five to zero. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, that was uh, it's a noble effort, yeah. but ultimately. He didn't come through. Oh, that's good. In kind of a big way, because there's so good. much we've talked. I mean, we've said there's so much about this movie that we appreciate. It's very important. The history is yeah. so fascinating, and the movie just didn't. And there are parts that are good. Yeah, but overall, ultimately, the movie just doesn't deliver. It didn't deliver in general, or or, or for what I would I really just wanted it to. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, it did not. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I would I would rate it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just pick it back on yours. Yours awesome. is good. Perfect. Next week. Do you know next one. Do you know what we're talking about next week? No. I, do. I looked it oh, up. Oh, you actually looked it up? Yeah. Good for you. Because, again, we're recording these out of order. Whoops. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> next week, Paul. What are we doing? Is our season finale. What? We're doing baseball classic 
Field of Dreams. Holy crap. I'm so excited. This is the one episode people will probably just skip <laughs> to first. There were eight episodes leading up to this one. Ta-da. Some of which we haven't even recorded yet. <laughs> Don't tell them that. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Have you heard of this movie? We're, we're, I, I've heard of it. <laughs> heard of it? I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, I've I think cried. we've both seen this yeah. and cried. <laughs> um, I feel like... I feel like this is kind of inspired the podcast. They're like, ah, Kevin Costner's baseball movies. Are Probably, so good. yeah. Actually, we are doing a thing where should we tell them this? What we're doing a thing where every season finale for the first three seasons, yeah, of yeah, the show, we'll be in. A, oh, we'll be a Kevin Costner he's movie. Be a Kevin yeah. Costner because he's done about ninety baseball movies. <laughs> he's the he's the baseball movie MVP. He's the guy. Yeah, he's clearly. Yeah, he's yeah. the Ichiro. He's the Babe Ruth of. Oh, he's the you want to do Ichiro? Sure, he's yeah. got the most hits. That's true. That's true. <laughs> hey, hey. All right. Yeah, we're going to do Field of Dreams. So check, can check we, back in. Can we watch it together? That'd be fun. Wait, we watch them all together, Andrew. Oh, uh, yeah. Wink. Winkity wink. Uh, yeah, we probably should. Because yeah. we've seen it before, so yeah, who cares? We can talk through it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think well, that'll do it. Once twin- again. Oh, if you want to watch the movie, I watched oh, it on... Right. Um, yeah. Uh, you can... If you want to watch American Pastime, which we think you should... You I watched can, it on Voodoo. Yeah. Oh, actually, I watched it on Voodoo. Let me say to Voodoo, I don't know what was going on. The sync was off by like 10 seconds. And I was like, That's bad. I can't do this. And I was like two minutes in and I left and I watched it on, um, where did you watch it? I watched it on iTunes like a normal person. <laughs> Voodoo. Where did I go? I rented it through, I think PlayStation, just the store, the regular store. Cool. But yeah, it's also on iTunes. If you want to watch American Pastime, you can watch it like a normal person on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube. You can get it on DVD, yeah. or you can be a weirdo like Paul and watch yeah. it uh, part of it on YouTube, Voodoo, and don't and do part it on Voodoo. It on I would highly recommend you do not watch it on Voodoo. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, go watch it. It's great. Twenty-seven up, Important. twenty-seven down, Paul. That's right, buddy. Uh, it doesn't really work. What uh, are you trying to say? Oh, that's your sign off. That's a terrible sign off. Yeah, it's not. It's not the one I came up with. No. Uh, how about uh, baseball movies? Are good, huh? Yeah, that's, no, that's so much better. That's <laughs> so much better. It's so frustrating because there's so many baseball aphorisms mm. and phrases and stuff, mm. and we don't have one oh, to fit our podcast. That's Not I, even one. I know what to say though. I know what? what to say. You've just figured it out. Well, we can't say it for everyone, but we can say it on this episode. Okay, what? This is the eighth episode. Yeah, we're going to the ninth, Paul. Oh, we're going to the ninth that's inning. Literally, only good for this one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Every eight episodes, we can have a good one. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. Swing and a miss. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see you guys later. Bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs>